This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for the final show of the week. Lots of stuff to get to today. Go for football. We'll talk about that. They open their season with a dominant 38-0 win over New Mexico State on Thursday night. Got some thoughts on that that I'll share here in just a minute. Going to go in depth on Gophers volleyball. They open their season, uh, open their home season, sorry, Sunday against Florida, two and one on the year so far. Two impressive road wins down in Texas, and then that lone loss to number one unanimous ranked Texas um, four sets. So that was a that was a competitive match again. Gophers ranked number four in the country right now. So taking a look not just at their prospects this year, but how much that team has risen in profile in terms of ticket sales, in terms of ticket revenue, in terms of how many people are watching on TV, in terms of how good this program really is, and asking the question, is there another gear for this program and this sport to get to from there? So I'll visit with Jeff Day from the Star Tribune about that and bring in a couple players that he spoke with as well to uh, to try to identify some of those key subjects as they begin that home schedule on Sunday. And we'll get to some Twins stuff. Cleveland lost yesterday. Twins were idle. So one game back heading into a pretty big stretch for the Twins. This is a home stretch we've been kind of watching for and waiting for. Lots of games coming up still against Cleveland and Chicago. Um, Both those teams still in the mix. But Twins and Cleveland create a little separation with the White Sox. This is, you know, we keep saying this could be the White Sox last gasp. And I do, I do mean that there's, they got to make a move if they're going to get anywhere. All these teams, though, still in it, and it should be should make for a fascinating month of September. First, though, what did I miss? Like I said, Gopher football, 38-0 over New Mexico State. And if I had to characterize this game with one overarching sentiment, it would be that everybody kind of got what they wanted out of this if you are a Gopher fan. Um, you got a nice breezy win. You got to see, you know, Mo Ibrahim and Trey Potts carry the ball a lot. They combined for three rushing touchdowns, 219 yards combined on 38 carries. Gophers did the bulk of their work on the ground, wound up with 57 carries. A lot of those coming, you know, kind of as they had already salted the game away. They did throw 23 passes, though, including 19 from Tanner Morgan before he sat out the end of the game, 13 of 19, 174 yards, no touchdowns, but did average 9.2 yards per attempt. And that was a big question coming into the year, right? Can they throw the ball well enough and often enough? And again, New Mexico State not going to test them in the way that pretty much anybody else on their schedule will, but I still thought it was important to see them break out more of that passing game this year. They just didn't do it very often last year. You've heard Chip Scoggins say multiple times, you know, ran the ball more than any other team in, in college football, threw the ball any less than any team in major college football except for these service academies a season ago. So that's something they're going to have to do more as the season goes on, even if the running game is still what they want to lean on. The other thing you maybe wanted to see is not too much drama out of this game. Maybe you wanted, maybe you did want drama. I don't know. Maybe you just are uh, are someone who's a sucker for drama. But with all the Jerry Kill stuff coming into this game, now that a head coach at New Mexico State 
saying he might not shake P.J. Fleck's hand on the sideline. Still some bad feelings about how everything ended here, about some of the things P.J. Fleck said about culture in the program after taking over for former Kill assistant Tracy Clays and for Kill by extension um, after after all that went down in the mid-2010s. Um, that, you know, that was something that, that, that I thought was, was worth watching. And in fact, Kill and Fleck did shake hands twice, once before the game, once after the game. And, you know, both of them had some things to say about, you know, just kind of where they're coming from. This is what Jerry Kill said. He said, I'm a professional. I've been a class act my whole life. He's trying to explain kind of where he was coming from. You've got to remember, PJ worked with me at Northern Illinois, and sometimes in the heat of the battle, when you have your best friend, talking about Tracy Clays, get fired, I think you react. I've never been the same since I left Minnesota and never will be, so the people that don't like me or are disgusted with me or whatever, it doesn't change the way I feel about this place. Okay, that's something to unpack. Fleck said he told Jerry Kill, quote, I've always had the utmost respect for you. I mean this. This is a very passionate profession. I know this. I appreciate Jerry's passion because I know how bad Jerry loves this place. Kill also had some complimentary things to say about the Gophers, said they're a Big Ten physical football team. I figured they would be pretty good from what I've heard, but I think they may be better than what people think. So I don't think every single fence was mended, but I think both coaches were professional. Both coaches were able to work past any personal issues that may have come up in the past. Like I said, these guys have a long history that goes back even before um, P.J. Fleck took the Minnesota job. They worked together at Northern Illinois. Some history there, and certainly the way things ended here for Minnesota is still emotional for Jerry Kill and probably led to some of what he has said since he left. But in his first game, you know, in his game back here in a head coaching role, this had the potential to, you know, to overshadow the game itself. And instead, it sounds like both coaches at least found some semblance of middle ground that allowed them to have a little chat on the field, to shake hands a couple times, and maybe move past all this. I think that'd be good for the Gophers. I don't think they need this storyline lingering. They've got bigger things they want to accomplish this season. They've got bigger opponents coming up on the schedule. So good to see them get that win from their program's perspective, and good to see the drama end in the pregame and not spill over anything further than that. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. There's a common expression often applied in business and even life. Good is the enemy of great. The underlying message is easy to discern. Sometimes entities, particularly companies if we are talking about the business world, settle for a certain level of achievement and stop there. But what if you're already great? What's the next level up from there? That seems to be the underlying question for the Gophers volleyball team in a couple of different ways. On the court, the Gophers are ranked number four in the country after three impressive road matches against quality opponents, and they open their home schedule Sunday against Florida at the Maturi Pavilion. Thousands of fans will pack the gym that day and others, further evidence of not just the team's popularity, but how much revenue has surged in the last decade under head coach Hugh McCutcheon. 
Others will watch throughout the year on TV. College volleyball is the Big Ten Network's fourth most watched sport behind football, men's basketball, and wrestling, putting it number one among women's sports. Yet there's a sense in both regards that there could be another gear. Can Minnesota, a powerhouse program that's reached nine Sweet 16s and three Final Fours since McCutcheon arrived in 2012, win a national title this season? And along the way, can they help college women's volleyball raise its profile even more? Now, to get to the heart of that question, I spoke with the Star Tribune's Jeff Day. He covered the team's excellent 2021 season and has become fascinated by the sport through a lot of different lenses. Jeff also spoke with Gophers players Melanie Schaffmaster and Jenna Wenis for their perspectives, and I will share those thoughts with you as well. So let's bring in Jeff Day from the Star Tribune right now. He's written a lot about the volleyball team and its successes in the last year or two. Um, Jeff, one thing that really caught my eye in the piece you wrote last week in advance of the season was just kind of where volleyball sits on in the pecking order, both in terms of like how much more revenue it's generated for the University of Minnesota in recent years and kind of where it sits in the, even in the Big Ten network landscape, you know, above some sports you might think of more naturally um, in that ecosystem. When, when you were, when you were reporting that story and thinking about this team um, and this, you know, in this sport in the Big Ten in general, what, you know, what, what comes to mind for you in terms of kind of where, you know, public perception versus what the reality is? The biggest thing for me, this started um, from a position of of my own ignorance. So I w- when I was getting ready to do this season opening thing, I was talking with Joe Christensen, who was my editor on it and, it, you know, leads our Gophers coverage. And I said, Joe, I want to do a first person thing about my own ignorance. And he goes, let's not do that. <laughs> you know, it's good to have good editors. He goes, let's not do that for the season opening. But the research that I started looking into and was curious about stemmed from this feeling of walking into that gym and seeing how big the crowds were, seeing how enthusiastic the crowds were in Madison for the NCAA tournament, watching the championship game last year between Nebraska and Wisconsin, 18,000 fans in the arena, just, you know, and, and then really good viewership numbers released from ESPN after that and thinking, what, what is the monetary situation of this team? Yeah. And what I learned in going through about a decade of athletic department budgets was, boy, they've really grown in terms of their attendance revenue, ticket revenue. And one of the things that I think we understand as reporters cover who look at college sports, consider college sports, is that that's about the one area where a program has control over their own revenue. You know what I mean? The media revenue is so crazy right now, but that is an external decision-making process. You know, that's an, that's a value placed on something based on what a network thinks they can sell for ad revenue and all kinds of things like that. So when it comes to this volleyball team, I thought, well, in this one area, they're showing, Hey, we have got a tremendous product people are willing to pay for and willing to spend money on. And then I started noticing that the area that they maybe lack through no fault of their own is outside revenue, you know, and that stems from media coverage and what kind of deals they have in place with, um, you know, institutions like ESPN or the Big Ten Network. And it seemed to me in talking to people that even those networks are surprised by the amount of interest that this sport is receiving. And really on a demographic basis on the fact that they have such a young market. 
And that probably stems from the fact that this is a super popular participation sport for young teens. Um, you see that in, in obviously the kind of recruits that the U gets and, and the kind of players that the state of Minnesota produces. This is a super popular sport in this state. Um, that has not translated in a media uh, market place period there's no way to sugarcoat that the u gets the u volleyball team gets no media money i mean they might get certain uh, you know distributions that come through the big 10 network right through a general fund you know what i'm saying like the yes. kind of money that the university gets for all of their sports coverage but they don't have anything like what football or men's basketball gets from these major deals um, and the same is true for the NCAA tournament coverage that women's athletics gets. You know, they are lumped into, I don't know if you read last year when the NCAA tournament had the final four in Minneapolis, there was a gender equity uh, report that was published based on, remember how there was the uh, social, uh, it was like a viral video that went. Yeah. The, the weight room from the, the weight, weight room. room. Yeah. Yes. So that spurred a investigation into just equity between the two men's and women's basketball. One of the things that came out of that report was, that all of these um, Olympic sports, as they're termed, mm -hmm. are under a umbrella um, contract with ESPN and the NCAA. So the NCAA markets all of those things as one big package. I think it's 26 sports or 20 sports are sold to ESPN as one broadcast deal. So that means, you know, and I think it's something, I mean, the numbers aren't even going to matter, but they're peanuts compared to say the 1 billion are they, you know, whatever we're going to yes. get for the $8 billion over seven years. It looks like deal that the big 10 just got for football and men's basketball and women's basketball. Although women's basketball, again, is an auxiliary part of that negotiation. Um, so anyway, long story short, it just was interesting to me. Why is it that a sport that is so popular from a fan perspective and when it is shown in a way that is easily you know, found by fans, mm -hmm. they respond to that. They come out and want to see more of it. So why is it that it's hard to find? Why is it that you know almost half of their matches are on a pay-only subscription service through the Big Ten Network? Um, why is it that their opening season match against Baylor, you know, two ranked teams, an exciting match in the Big 12, Big 10 Challenge, isn't on television, isn't, it is impossible to find video of outside of Twitter feeds from the Gophers Athletic Department doing that. And part of it is that that is external stuff. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. on the internal side of things, when it comes to the team that they produce every year, the quality of play they produce, the environment within the arena, um, even the sort of things at the university of control, which is the kind of training staff they have, the organizational foundation that they put around the team, they're doing their best in those regards. But when it comes to driving money, the thing that they can control is the amount of money fans pay. And they have shown that they can grow that, but there is a certain kind of cap on that. This deal that the football team just got and the men's basketball team just got, that's a flood of money. Yes. The only place that that sort of jump is going to come is from external, external revenue sources. So I just found it all to be really interesting. And like I said, part of it stemmed from my own ignorance as a sports fan. And you and I talked about this last time that when yeah, you go yeah. cover gopher volleyball, it is eye-opening if you are unaware of it. And if you don't have a firm grasp of how popular it is, how dynamic the sport is from a viewership standpoint. And um, it just kind of, if you're a curious sports fan, it makes you wonder, why don't I know more about this? And part of that is because while the internal product is really strong, the external coverage, including from people like, I mean, we can acknowledge that the Star Tribune doesn't have a full-time gopher volleyball reporter, never right. has. Um, and, you know, on a local coverage basis, it just pales in comparison. And I think that um, there's, a, to me at least, there's a real uh, 
what I would call not just, this is not uh, sort of doing a service for, so this is not an equity thing. This is a premier program that is deserving of greater external coverage. Um, and so that was kind of where the whole curiosity came from in terms of what, what does it look like when you break down? Is this a popular sport? Are they showing that they probably are deserving of more coverage? And I think there's no argument you can make that would say that they are not deserving of more coverage. Um, they have popularity, they have the product. And it, I think people are trying to catch up to that. Yeah. Some of your reporting was, you know, in terms of the Big Ten Network's own internal metrics, they're like the fourth most popular viewed sport behind what was it? Football, men's basketball and wrestling. Is that was that what you reported? Yeah. And Rachel, a couple of years ago, Rachel Blunt had a story about they were third for a period of time. And wrestling has been um, kind of they go back and forth with wrestling for that third spot. Uh, but their most recent data was for 2020, 2021, which was that kind of COVID year. Um, and they get great viewership and especially surprising viewership is how the big 10 network viewed it. And the number that they focus on, and it makes sense that they focus on it is they are the youngest demographic sport. So from a viewer, which is always, you know, when it comes to what do networks want, younger is always better. Younger is what people are looking for because they're looking for growth markets. And that was the thing that they said jumped out at them because it's not easy to be a growth sport from a youth standpoint on network television. Now, along those lines, Gophers junior outside hitter um, Jenna Wenna said she has been noticing women's sports a lot more as she has gotten older and has been watching them a lot more and kind of seeing the progress that is being made in efforts to get them more visibility. I definitely think the sport's growing. I think um, women's athletics is growing in general. Like I saw something about the um, softball World Series got record number of yes. views, maybe more than the men's World yeah. Series did, I believe. Yeah. Um, I watched the World Series, and so I feel like now, like just that I'm in college, I'm noticing um, the difference between men and women's sports. Like I'm kind of paying more attention. Like I, um, we went to like a gymnastics meet. I watched yeah. gymnastics on TV a few times. Um, or I'll keep up with them on social media. Uh, I watched the College Women World Series, um, and then obviously I watch uh, Big Ten volleyball, yeah. other big volleyball matches going on because I do think it's uh, entertaining in that aspect to watch um, unattached from it. Yeah, unattached, right? Yes. Um, so yes, I think people are beginning to notice like what a cool sport and yeah. fun sport it really is. I think. It's growing. I think more kids are playing. There's no doubt about that. 500 kids at yeah. a catching camp this past July, just for the first weekend. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's cool to see. It's generally viewed as, hey, TV is dying out from a younger generation viewpoint. And what they found with volleyball is, no, this is a sport that young people want to watch and want to pay attention to. And like we were saying earlier, that probably stems from tremendous participation numbers and real popularity with um high school students and junior high students who are coming up in the sport and love watching it and, and idolize these players, you know, really um, think you talk to, you talk to players at the Gophers and they will tell you that they idolize the people they are coming into play with that when they were 13, 14, 15, these were the girls who were maybe older on their club teams because Minnesota has such a deep well of volleyball talent. And there's no doubt the profile of this program. Gophers junior setter Melanie Shaftmaster said even you know, growing up in Texas, she was very well aware of the Gophers, very well aware of where she wanted to play her volleyball, even as she was becoming an excellent 
recruit, even though they're you know far away from Texas. And you know, she said this was the place she wanted to be because of the rising profile and because of the you know the way this program is run. So when I was like looking at schools and stuff, I obviously I was really focused on the Big Ten. There were a couple schools that weren't in the Big Ten that I was looking at, and then um, I went on a visit to Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, like, obviously it's like here or Minnesota. Yeah. And so like when my recruiting stuff got serious, I, they didn't, I actually told my recruiting director I wanted to like reach out because I was like, it's Minnesota, like it's Hugh. I think that's, it was like, Hugh was also like newer, I think too. I don't remember what year this was, a while ago. And I was like, I just really want to like go and visit and see like the atmosphere. And I had a couple calls with like Matt and Laura and then Hugh. And then I went on my visit and I was like, Oh my gosh. I like couldn't stop smiling. Like, I was smiling like the whole entire time. So like I guess I would say I was newer to like Minnesota volleyball, but yeah. like once I found interest in them is when I started like watching. Yeah. And then like since I did commit early, like I obviously had high school to like watch them and play and like just yeah. love Minnesota volleyball. And so anyway, like I said, it's like this humming ecosystem that is self-sustaining in a way, but you wonder, well, where are the where is the the outside push to make this bigger so yeah and that's where like that big 10 network data seems to speak to that and they i think they know that but the contract they have as i understand it you know the big 10 network and fox are locked into one another yes and the contract they signed in 2007 when the big 10 network started was 20 years so that was a 20-year partnership and that's a long time to sign any media rights deal yes, but that's, that's forever yeah that's forever and so um you know, it'll be something for us to look into as the years go, as we get closer and closer to whenever that renegotiation starts, it might be a time where they say, Hey, we might need to do something bigger with this sport or try to get it because they're trying, but 55 matches while being a record number for a sport with as many great teams as the big 10 has um, as much competition as the sport has, it still is not a, what I would consider to be a large number. You know what I mean? It's not like men's basketball where you can basically watch every single Gophers game on a, a broadcast stream, you know, it just seems like it's something that everybody, like I said before, is trying to kind of catch up to, including people like me. And I think a lot of sports fans, um, once they start paying attention to it, go, wow, I didn't know about this. That was my experience of, of learning about it. How does this sit with Hugh McCutcheon, with the players on the team? I mean, obviously, I think they know they have a good thing going, and I'm sure they're appreciative of the fan support that they get, all the people that come to the pavilion. I'm sure it's going to be well attended this weekend. Their home opener is Sunday against Florida. I think their next two matches after that are also against ranked opponents. I mean, they've got a really good non-conference schedule and the conference schedule is always, you know, if not the best, um, one of the best in in the country because the Big Ten is so loaded up and it won't get any easier when USC and UCLA join because I believe both those teams are ranked in the top 25 this year as well. But kind of, how does this sit with Hugh McCutcheon and the players as they kind of think about the profile that they have versus the exposure they get. I don't like to speak for them. I will speak to what they told me um, and the impressions that I received when I talked, because I talked to a number of players about this and I talked to McCutcheon about it too. Um, and I talked to Julie Manning, you know, so I talked with, you yeah. know, the social athletic director over there that, you know, the, I think the feeling is the, for the amount of success they have year after year, it's almost like a thing that is taken for granted, I think would be a, a feeling that could be fair to say that how is it that something that is showing this kind of growth? I think, you know, McCutcheon probably has a much different viewpoint than the players. Um, but for McCutcheon, it's like, hey, we're showing you 
that we can grow revenue organically. And he doesn't know. <laughs> I said to him, I go, did you know that your ticket revenue growth has grown this much since you've been here? And he goes, no, I didn't know that. I mean, he doesn't pay attention to it, but I think he in the gym knows, hey, we're packed every night when we play at home. He knows that there are people scalping tickets for far more than there. You know, you can get a season ticket package to go for volleyball for uh, insanely low prices. Um, and so I think he knows that maybe in his mind, is there more money to be made from that area? Um, is there more promotion that could be done for the sport? Is there a way for the university to get behind the sport in a greater sense? Maybe there is. And the players talk about um, sort of, you know, they, th these are athletes at the university who love the teams that maybe you would have to position them against. So like, if you talk to them about football, you'll hear them say like, I love all the football players. I love the football team. It's not like they're trying to be combative, but there is a feeling of why is it that when go for football goes to a, what would be considered like a mid-tier bowl, we break it out in our state, in our coverage, including the university, including the Star Tribune, including all kinds of places as a major monumental moment. But when Gopher Volleyball goes to another Elite Eight, another Sweet 16, or a Final Four, or has a great season, or is pushing for a Big Ten championship, it's just sort of treated like, yeah, I mean, that that's just, it's secondary. Um, and I do think part of the disconnect comes from this element of it's not like they're it's not like they're lacking in popularity it's not like they need to prove themselves that they are producing a great product they see it night after night when they come into the arena and the stands are packed or like last night when they were playing texas and you're down there and it's like it's jammed up you've got chris beard in the crowd you've got you know great energy it's like the sport itself i think knows how good it is and the people who play it know that it's growing know that its popularity is surging and they're just wondering why is this not playing out in different from a, again, from this sort of external place, where is the support coming behind it? Where is the coverage coming behind it? Um, and so, yeah, I do think it's like, I don't think they view it as a combative thing. Like they're trying to take from somebody else or they feel like somebody else is getting coverage that is undeserved, if you will. I think it's more, they're just wondering where is the relational quality of coverage? Where is the relational quality of exposure? when we are doing this year after year, proving ourselves year after year, bringing in the fans year after year, growing year after year. Um, I think that's a fair question, you know, and a, and a fair curiosity. And again, I don't think that people at the university, people at the Big Ten Network, probably people at ESPN aren't also curious about this, but they're just lagging in terms of catching up to it, you know, and it could be because of these contracts. It could be because of all number of things. They, they do have their home opener, Sunday, they've gone two and one so far, non-conference play. They only lost to number one ranked Texas. And that was hard fought for, you know, four sets, um, you know, got, got one in the third, almost got the fourth. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, the non-conference schedule is going to be great. They play Florida here on Sunday. And then after that, a lot more, you know, good matches at the pavilion as well. Um, as you kind of think about the outlook, they're, they're four, they were fourth in the, the most recent um, poll, yeah. Um, how good is this team this year? I mean, is this a, a final four contending team based on who they have on the roster? I think they view it as a team that can grow into something really special. You know, Erica Davis and McKenna Wurcher, who was their number one recruit this year, haven't haven't played. I don't think Erica played against Texas, but she didn't play the first two games. Um, and you're seeing some of these. Carter Booth had an incredible uh, first match against Baylor. I think she had 11 blocks, which was just, you know, for a freshman debut was insane. And then Julia Hansen against Texas last night was out of her mind, you know, another freshman. And these are the, and now everything's theoretical and, and ratings based, but 
McKenna Wartra was kind of the freshman who people thought was really might come out and shine early. And already you've had the two other freshmen come out and really make a statement. Jenna Wenis is back. She kind of has her all-around game. Taylor Lanfair has been excellent, just like everybody expected in her return. Um, you know, last night when they lost to Texas, they kept killing their own momentum with service errors. I mean, it was like the fourth set, they kept, they had leads, they would get within a point and then, you know, the ball would go into the net. And so I think there's growing pains that comes with a team trying to, you lose Stephanie Samity. So you lose what would be like the, the essence of your team, the focal point, the center. Now you're trying to build behind that um, while incorporating new players and all of the kind of juggling that goes on with a roster change. But the, feeling you get from over there is once this all starts to gel, they have the middle block that maybe they lacked last year. They've added a lot of size in the middle. Um, and I think with Hanson and Wurcher and Wenis and Lanfrey, you've got attacking players all over the court. So I think they're really excited about it. And I think if you were to ask them, they would say, this is a, this is a team that has a chance to be really special. You know, we never know exactly what the future holds. If we did, life would be a lot more simple and a lot less interesting. But in all the ways life will pull and push us, it's good to remember this. It is possible to appreciate what you already have while still wanting more. Let's finish with the cooler. Twins open a big series against the White Sox this weekend. Like I mentioned at the jump, Twins one back now of Cleveland. Um... Three games clear of the White Sox, who are, of course, then four games behind Cleveland in the AL Central race. But this is going to be, this is kind of the month we've been waiting for. This is the stretch of the schedule for the Twins that we've had our eye on for a long time. A lot of games against the American League Central. 17 games left now against the White Sox and Cleveland combined before the season ends. Can they play their best baseball right now, even without some of their best players, even without you know, some of uh, some of what they might want um, going forward. Can they get this done right now and play the way they've played, you know, earlier in the season when they put together that best stretch? Can they continue the arc they've been on right now? Had a really good 5-1 and one homestand. I know they lost that last game, but still was a competitive game. You're going to lose every once in a while, even when you're playing well, even when you're being competitive. Can they keep that kind of momentum going against the White Sox, against the Yankees, continue it into those big series against Cleveland. Can they can they rise to the occasion? That's what I'm wanting to see right now. These are going to these are the games they want to play. These are the games you want to play when you are a competitor. Can they play their best right now? And you know, even if it doesn't ultimately land them a spot in the playoffs and they're pretty much still a coin flip right now to make the postseason likely as a division winner, that wild card's going to be a lot harder. Can they at least put, you know, put their best effort forward and build that momentum still towards 2023, or will this season kind of fade in September? That's what I want to see this month. That, that's I think we're going to get a much clearer picture of the direction of this organization, of the direction of the players they have right now, and that will give them a lot of kind of food for thought entering the offseason and should make for a fun month of baseball viewing. That will do it for me today. A lot of great stuff coming up this week. We're getting down to it, not too far off from Vikings-Packers. That'll be a lot of what dominates our discussion next week. Got plenty of good stuff to bring you a conversation with Lindsey Whalen as she heads into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Bring you some other stuff that I've got to, got cooking as well. So there so should be some great shows coming up next week. Not like they aren't all great anyway, but hopefully um, some extra special stuff 
going into next week and beyond. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll catch up with you again on Monday.